tonight as it was this morning when I woke up and it was negative three, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I just kind of wanted to quit at that point. And so, so I'm glad you, you're out tonight, and I, and I hope you will make it to Winter Retreat this weekend. I think it's going to be an awesome weekend. I'm hoping there's still snow on the ground, because if you, if you were at Scioto Hills for Fall Retreat, you know that um, it's a pretty hilly place, and I think the sledding could be off the charts. So um, could be a lot of fun, but I hope you'll join us. If you haven't registered yet, it's going to be a really great weekend. And um, yeah, hope you're there. But want to introduce you to my family. I feel like I get up here reasonably often, but I don't get to, you don't get to meet my wife and my daughter um, who are so precious to me. And um, so that's my wife, Christy. Uh, this summer, we will, be, we will have been married for 17 years. And it feels like a blip. It just came and went. And, um, and our daughter, I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a little bit, uh, but she's going to be four next month. And I will tell you, I, I love my family. I love my wife dearly. Uh, I love my parents. I love people in my family. But I'll tell you, when my daughter was born, I felt like there was this new part of my heart that came to life that I didn't know existed before that. I love being a dad. And so at the risk of being a little sappy, I'm going to give you a, a little window into the best part of my day. Because every day, except for Thursdays, which is a little sad, but every other day ends the same way. We're at 8 o'clock. Uh, my daughter, we get her teeth brushed. We take her to bed. Um, we kneel down at the side of the bed. We pray together as a family. And then I tuck her in. And she smiles at me and we sit there and we talk about all kinds of random things from her day. And she's, she's not four yet. And so there's, sometimes it's not coherent. Um, sometimes I don't know what she's excited about. But she's all smiles. And I sit there and I run my hand through her hair. And I kiss her on the cheek sometimes two or three or four times. And I tell her how much I love her. And then I have a hard time pulling myself away. Because I just love sitting there by her bed talking to her as she smiles and listening to her talk. I love being a dad. And the, and the reason I share that is because tonight we're talking, we're continuing a series about God's promises, but tonight we're talking about the promise of God's love. And love is a pretty incredible thing. And I feel like I continue to learn more about it. But we're continuing this series where, you know, the last two weeks we've been looking at these incredible promises in Scripture that describe what God is committed to, um, and there, there are things that God has promised, not just in the past, but things that he continues to speak that are true to us today. And so as we believe these promises and as we meditate on them and think about them, we realize they have power to transform and impact our lives even today. And so tonight we're talking about the promise of what I'm describing as God's superabundant, inseparable, triumphant love for those who are in Christ. And I'll tell you, um, while it hasn't always been the case, I would say that today there's pro there are probably fewer claims, um, the, the claim that God loves you, there are probably fewer claims more easily accepted out there in the world. I think people easily, readily believe that God loves them, when, especially when things are going well. Uh, but I think there are other times when it can be more challenging to believe that. But I also want to say that in all of my reading and writing and thinking and all my years walking with the Lord, I don't think there's ever been another theological puzzle, something so confusing, something so complex as God's love that I feel like I still don't quite understand it. And so 
Um, what I'd love to do tonight is talk about all the complexity of God's love and all of the things that confuse me about it, but we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to talk about three short, simple observations about God's love from a passage of Scripture. And so what I want to do is invite you to do two things. One, grab your Bible if you brought it or open your app or whatever and turn to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans there in your New Testament. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And here's the other thing I want you to do. Um, I didn't realize that. I made you look at my family for a long time. You're welcome. Um, here's the other thing I want you to do. Turn with the people sitting next to you and just talk for a minute about this question. And you can be as, I want to say, you can be as specific or as vague as you want. Maybe you're good friends with the person sitting next to you and you want to be really specific. Um, but the, the question is, when are you tempted to doubt God's love for you? So you could, you could talk about a particular time in your life, a particular moment or story, or maybe you just want to be vague and say, um, maybe under these circumstances, theoretically, I might doubt this. But take a minute with one another and answer that question, and then I'll pull this back together. You've got like 60 seconds. All right, let's, let's pull it back together. Hopefully that was enough time. Um, I think it can be a challenging question, if we're honest. Um, and I think if we're honest and we're real with one another, there are times when we can be prone to, to doubt God's love for us. And so, so again, tonight we're going to look at three observations about God's love from this passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So... Um, so take a look in your Bibles. I've got it up here on the screen as well. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it says, this is Paul writing, and he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, talking about God, he who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that could condemn? Who is to condemn? Now, here's what I want you to do. Look carefully at that passage of Scripture. Look at the logic of those few verses, because really Paul's making a kind of argument here. And what he implies is that 
I think one of the implications is that we drastically underestimate God's love for us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The original readers, uh, uh, and each of us often like them, find ourselves in circumstances in life where we think either life itself or particular people are against us. And Paul here says, on the contrary, look at what God has done for you. He says, look at what God has done for you because he loves you so much that he even gave up his own son. So the question implicitly is, what would he withhold from you if he gave you his own son? And the idea is that God's love here is super abundant. It's more than we could even imagine. Think for a moment about the love that a parent has for a child that I'm giving you a little insight into with my own family. Um, it's probably the most powerful bond of love that exists naturally in the world. It's hard to imagine, think, for, think with me for a moment, it's hard to imagine something more painful or tragic than for a parent to lose a child. Whether it's gradual and slow or whether it's a tragedy that comes about suddenly or from some freak accident, it's hard to imagine the existential anguish and the kind of identity-altering event that that is for someone. Think about the love a parent has for a child. Think about movies that have been made, right? About the lengths that parents will go to to rescue their children from villains or from danger. Um, you, do you realize this? There are dozens of recorded incidents of what I think is unfortunately named as something called hysterical strength. Do you know what hysterical strength is? It's when a mom, usually it's usually a mom, somehow freakishly does something like picks up a 2,000-pound car to save her child. Um, it happens. Science uh, doesn't have an explanation. It's kind of hard to test, you know. Um, but it happens out there in the real world, and there are dozens of recorded cases of it. And so parents are regularly willing to sacrifice life and limb to give a kidney to save their own child. Now consider what Paul says. The incredible love that a parent has for a child. Paul's claim is God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all on the cross. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul says that God loves you so much that he gave up his own son to make you his own. That he gave up his own son to make you a daughter or a son of him. The idea is that not only does God love you so much that he give up his own son to have you, but now he loves you in the same way that he loves his own son. He gave the most precious gift so that you might become his most precious gift. This exchange that happens on the cross, God does out of love for you, gives his own son. And so if you doubt that God loves you, Paul, Paul's, the implicit thing here is, are you kidding? He gave you his own son. What would he withhold from you? Who could be against you if God is for you, he says. So God's love is super abundantly, super abundantly manifest in the gospel. It's where we see the depth of God's love. But more than that, God's love is inseparable because of the gospel. Now look back at your Bibles. Look at verse 34b, right? The second sentence there in 34. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, it's kind of a weird one to think about, or danger, or sword? And then, and then Paul goes on and he quotes Psalm 44, almost as to say, oh, you think that's bad? He says, 
uh, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul's reflecting on his own experience as one who faces the threat of death daily. You see, God didn't simply give up his own son out of love for you. He raised him from the dead so that right now you can have confidence that not even death itself can separate you from the love of God. That Christ conquers over death. That God conquers over the most threatening thing to his love. So the father gives his son out of love for you. Then he raises his son that you would have the experience of victory over death so that you know that there are no defeats in this life, not even death, and that, they are, and that God's love is able to overcome even that. Now here's the thing. Um, you might be tempted to wonder if God loves you on any given, you know, whatever those things were that you shared a little bit ago. It might be that your experience makes you question God's love. Maybe, uh, you know, Paul uses these words, distress or danger or trip. When life gets hard, when life gets hard, but Paul's point here is that God's love for us is unwavering and that there's no power that can separate us from it. But the problem is our own experience mitigates against that. It pushes against it and makes us doubt God's love from time to time. And here's the reality is I've experienced this in my own life, and this is... 180, and so um, I think part of what we have to be honest about is being real about how life is hard sometimes. Um, and so I've had to wrestle with this in my own life, and it's a deeply personal story, one that I've shared before. Um, but our daughter Lydia, uh, she was born in February of 2018. So I said she's almost four years old. Uh, and I also said that my wife and I, we've been married for almost 17 years. That kind of makes us older parents for a, seven, uh, for a, for a four-year-old. And the reality is, is that Christy and I, we were married in 2005, and we had this kind of grand plan for our lives. We thought we would, uh, we would get married, we'd kind of enjoy the first five years of marriage, and then we'd start a family five years in. Um, and so in 2010, we decided, okay, we want to have some children. And the reality is, is, by the time 2011 came along, we were kind of surprised that it was still just the two of us. And so... Um, you know, we do these things that you're supposed to do. You go to the doctor, you get, a, you know, you get subjected to all these undignified tests. And the results came back and they were really clear. It was like, you both seem perfectly healthy. We don't see any reason why you can't have kids. And so, good luck. Um, and so the, the only option we had was really to pray and ask God to provide for us because we really wanted to have children. And so the reality is, is from 2010, you know, starting in 2010, we began praying Every day. And I mean every day. Think about where you were at in 2010. And every month, disappointment. For months, for a year, for two years, for four years, for six years. And finally, after praying, and month after month of disappointment, uh, in 2016, I came home and Christy told me that she was pregnant. And I couldn't believe it. I was ecstatic. And so we began, you know, we told friends and family and got so excited, and then eight weeks later, the baby died. And so we, um, we were confronted with this reality. God, do you really love us? God, we trust you. We're praying. We're asking you to do this. Do you really love us? And so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Um, and the good news is, is the Lord provided again, and our daughter Lydia was born in 2018, and so, um, so the story does have a happy ending, but in, in 2016, and in 2017 in particular, there were 
there were days and weeks and months where all I could do was come back to this passage of Scripture again and again and again and say, Lord, you gave your own son for me. The, thing that I, the very thing I want, a child, right? I was happy with a boy or a girl, whatever, but I, the only thing I want is a child, and you gave yours up because you love me. And it was this incredible reminder as I came back to this passage again and again that, that even on hard days, even when tragedy strikes, God's not depriving me. He's already given me the very best thing he could give me. Uh, the thing that's most costly to him because he loves me. He wants good for me. So when I face distress or tribulation or persecution, when life just goes wrong, when tragedies strike, God's not being stingy with me. He's not being tight-fisted. He's not withholding good from me. He's not being unfair to me. All these things that we wonder about sometimes. Look at what he's given you in the gift of his own son. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He's clear there's nothing in our experience, no matter how painful it might feel, that will change God's love for you. That it remains and it endures. That it's inseparable because of what Jesus has done for us. So, the, I mean, the application is, do you let your experience dictate your understanding of God's love? That's the temptation right? That's, that's the temptation for me. It's the temptation for you. Does God's love change with your experience? And the answer is absolutely not. Not on your worst day. Now, more than that, I said there were three things I wanted to mention. Here's the third thing. God's love is triumphant because of the gospel. Look at 37 through 39. This is wild, and I, I wish I had more time to kind of talk about this, but 37 through 39, Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, more than conquerors. In verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He puts this exclamation point on the end of God's love. He says there's nothing that could separate us. And these, this, um, there's a grammatical term for what he's doing here. These are called mirisms, where he says neither height nor depth, um, neither, um, uh, you know, uh, neither life nor death, uh, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come. Um, every way he says it's a different way of saying there's nothing, nothing that could separate us. And more than that, he says we're more than conquerors because of God's love. What does that mean? You see, Paul so often thinks, and if, if you read throughout Paul's letters, Paul so often thinks of the Christian life, thinks of it in athletic terms like a race or like a boxing match. Sometimes he thinks about it like a war that's being fought. And so he walks, he, so these images are ready, you know, readily available to, for Paul. And here what we have is the image of a general who's come back from war having already conquered. A victorious, celebratory victory. There's a conqueror. He's imagining some military general, general who's come back from war, victorious and celebratory, even though the reality is, as you know, the general fought battles, right? People died. There was blood. It was difficult. Things probably look bleak at times, but the reality is, is that God's love conquers. That because 
we are in Christ, he says that we are more than conquerors because of God's love for us. And of course, we know in this case, Jesus is the general, right? He's the one who's conquered over sin and death. He's redeemed us by his death and his resurrection. And as a result, it means that we're more than conquerors because of God's love. God's already won the war and conquered over the hardships of this life. It's why elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about the hardships and the challenges of this life, the things that would make us doubt God's love. He calls them light and momentary afflictions. Just passing light and momentary afflictions. The reality is, is that God's love is super abundant. It's inseparable. It's triumphant. And so here's what I want you to do, just to finish up. Turn back in, turn back in those same discussion groups. And I'm going to give you a little bit more time to think and to respond. But here's the question is, if God's love is like that, how does that change the way you think about life or God? How does it change the way you think about life or God if God's love for you is like that? What effect does that have? Okay? So talk about that for a minute, and then I'll pray to close this. Okay? Go for it. Sorry, I'm being rude. <laughs> yep, yep. Let's pray. Father, we collectively, we confess that there are times that we might be tempted to doubt your love for us, that uh, small things that come throughout our day or our week or sometimes the big things that come throughout life. Um, 
Lord, I pray for my friends here tonight and for myself, Lord, that we would be firmly rooted in an understanding of your love, knowing that it's, uh, that it's super abundant, that it's inseparable, that it's triumphant, that there's nothing that we can do to be separated from it, Lord. I give you thanks for that. And Lord, thank you that our experience doesn't change what it is that you've done for us in the very giving of your son. Lord, we're grateful for that gift, grateful be, for beyond words. And um, God, as we think about that great gift and reflect on your love for us and your grace shown to us in the gospel, uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would well up with uh, love and affection for you, that we would be overwhelmed by love for you and desire to walk with you and to live according to your commandments and laws, to honor you with our lives because of what it is that you've done for us in the giving of your son, Jesus. Thank you that you are not tight-fisted with us, that you've not withhold, withheld any good from us because you've given us the most precious gift that you could in the giving of your son. Thank you for him, for his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and thank you for the new life that we have because of him. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 180 Podcast.